Welcome to the Ion Annapolis Local Business Spotlight. There are thousands of locally owned businesses in the area, some small and some large. Some you may know and others you don't. But one thing they all have in common is a great story and we want to share it with you. Join us every Saturday as we talk to the founders, the owners, and the managers of local businesses you have come to know and love, and those you will come to know and love. Now here's your host, John Frenet, with this week's Local Business Spotlight. Hey there, this is John. As I was editing this, I realized that this episode was way too long, and we're going to divide it into two parts. The first part, we're going to be talking with Tracy from the Department of Social Services, and then we're also going to be talking with a foster parent, and that'll be next week. It's really such an important topic that I really did not want to make it too long so everybody would get all bored and check out. So with that, let's get into it with Tracy from the Department of Social Services. Joining us today, we have Tracy Madera, who is with the Department of Social Services for Anne Arundel County, and subsequently, I guess, the state oversees the whole thing here. We contacted by email a couple weeks ago about the foster care system, and I know we had talked with Taylor Piles at the Blue Ribbon Project several months ago, and when I walked out of that interview, that discussion, my mind was blown because I I like to think I, well, I don't like to think I live in it, but I feel that I live in this little bubble and there's nothing, you know, bad. I mean, we're in this little utopia world and, you know, we've got the water and, you know, the roofs over our heads and everything else. And that's just not the case. And thankfully, we have folks like you and the department to really sort of, you know, run interference, if you will, and make sure that everybody in our community has the best chance that they possibly have. Uh, you know, for a successful life beyond, you know, a bad situation that they have no control over. Tell me about the Department of Social Services. And I guess, you know, we're talking about foster parenting, but tell me a little bit about the program and how it works. Sure. So, I mean, the Department of Social Services has multiple different facets of services, right? From assisting families who are low income, who may need benefits, to helping vulnerable families, adults, children get connected to services, ensuring safety, all of that. Um, so on our side of the services, when it comes to child welfare, we're all about ensuring of course, children's safety, well-being, permanency. Um, so in the child welfare sector of social services, we're committed to building stronger, safer, more self-sufficient families and adults. Um, and our goal is for families to remain intact and supported and healthy. So um, overarching the term is, that you might hear is family preservation. We want to preserve families, ensure that they have services, um, so that ultimately you no longer need the department in your life. That's kind of the goal, right, is that we, we no longer have to be engaging with these families because they have the supports and everything that they need. I'm a leg up. We talk about foster children, then, and we do know that there are children that are placed into foster homes for any number of different reasons. I mean, it can be uh, a tragic accident where, you know, the parents may be killed. There could be, uh, you know, drugs. It could be incarceration. It could just be a bad situation, violence and everything else. But here in Anne Arundel County, I mean, how great is that need? The need for foster families is extremely high. Um, so as of right now, we have roughly 62 foster families. Um, that number can, you know, wax and wane even in a couple of weeks. Um, but we have roughly 103 children in care right now. So almost double the amount of youth in care to the families that we have to care for those youth. Um, so we, we are in a very high need of families who are willing to, you know, take the chance and bring children into their home to 
support them and give them a safe space until they can hopefully safely be reunified with their family. I'm just looking at these numbers. You said 62 foster families right now, and I, I get that that does wane in 103 children in need. Now, are those 103 still out waiting for a foster family, or are they the, counting the ones that are in foster families? That's a good question. So all of our youth who are in care are in some type of placement, whether that be a foster family, and there's different levels. It could be a treatment foster family. It could be a group home. It could be a diagnostic center. It could be a residential treatment center. Um, So there are different levels of care. So even if all 103 of those youth are in care, not all of them are necessarily in a foster home level. Okay. So there could be into a, a, a group living environment as opposed to a home Correct. Um, Now, I will say sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, especially when working with older youth, they might be placed in a higher level of care, such as a group home, not necessarily because their behaviors meet that level, but simply because we don't have enough local homes to care for older youth. They're a little bit more self-sustaining to a degree, I guess. It can just be a little bit more difficult for the, to place them in a family setting because we don't have a lot of families willing to take older kiddos, not necessarily because their behaviors are more difficult to meet the level that like a group home would, would take care of. So those different levels of care depend on like the severity of the youth's needs and behaviors and things of that nature. Is there any breakdown or difference in, I mean, where is the need as, as far as ages go? I mean, do is there a lot of older teens? Is that where the the real need is as opposed to younger children? We definitely always will have a higher need uh, for homes willing to take older kids. So out of that 103 number, about 55% are 12 years old and older. So over half of our foster youth population are our teens. Um, about 32% of our kids are five and under. However, we're, we've even started having a little bit of difficulty even placing babies because a lot of our families are working families. It's it's tough out here. You know, let's, let's be real. A lot of people are dual income families needing to work. And so it can be difficult for people to have time off or be staying at home to help care for, you know, even babies that come into care and trying to find daycare. So we're struggling on kind of both ends of that spectrum. Well, fostering has, is not not probably for the faint of heart or for everybody, for sure. Uh, I know I've, you know, not fostering, but I've struggled whether do I want to do that uh, sponsor a midshipman you know, type of a thing, which is nowhere near that. But what's involved in becoming a foster family of some, you know, to open my home to a child? And I mean, I'm guessing the primary thing is to give love and support. Of course. There's different competencies when it comes to our pre-service training called Pride, um, and one of the main ones is you know providing safe and nurturing environments for children. So that of course is always going to be paramount and number one. Um, but in terms of the process to become a foster parent, that's a pretty detailed um, discussion. I'm happy to go into that, but there's there's a couple steps that people have to do in order to become licensed and assessed for fostering. So a foster family is actually licensed to be a foster. Parent? Yes, you have both? to go through a training, a home study to, to be licensed to do Background so. checks and all that stuff, I'm sure that's all. Oh, absolutely. So this is not a, a uh, how long does that process take? If I said, hey, Tracy, I want to become a foster parent today, and uh, provided that you didn't find about the bodies I buried in my backyard or anything like that, how long is this going to take? Right. Uh, I tell people from start being you submit your application to finish your home study being done, approved, you're ready to go. It could take anywhere from six to seven months in oh. totality. The home study alone can take up to 120 days. Um, and then factoring in the training time, factoring in 
you know, the different moving pieces. You have to get CPR certified, the background checks, the supplemental documentation that we need from you. There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Um, and we do that so that not only the family is well known to the department so that we can ensure that you're a good fit for the job, but also so that you as the family can make an informed and educated decision on whether this is the right fit for you. Well, I've got to figure that you've got a, I don't know whether the nuclear family is the way to, to say it, but I mean, you, you've developed your own rhythm and your own bond and everything else with a biological child and a, you know, spouses and the, the whole the family unit works. And this has got to be a, a disruptor of sorts when you've got an outside person coming in to work within that. So it's probably very critical to be able to find that right match. So other than having a willingness in the training, successfully passing all of the, the things, I mean, is there, there aren't any really requirements other than the, the desire to, to help a child out? So in terms of getting licensed and some of the other pieces and when talking about requirements, you do have to be CPR certified. Everyone in the home has to get a physical done. If you want to care for youth who are under the age of two, you have to be willing to get flu vaccinated and whooping cough vaccinated. Um, so there are certain things in regards to that for requirements. And then when you're doing your home study, there's certain requirements for your home. And that relates to our state policies called COMAR. So if anybody works for the state or the county, right. you're very familiar with COMAR. Um, but there are very specific policies outlining what needs to be in a foster home or how it needs to be organized or safe measures so that a youth is safe. So, for example, like we can't use bunk beds for foster youth. That's a Comer policy. We can't um, if you have a pool, you have to have a fence that's at least four foot high. Oh, wow. around. So there's there's different things, but it oftentimes pertains to the specifics around your home um, to ensure that we're adhering to those policies. Question for you, though, what is the day-to-day life of a child in foster care in a home look like? I mean, is it like any other kid that's in the home? Is he getting yelled at when they're bad and uh, praised when they're good and have to do chores and sit down at dinner when the family sits down for dinner? I think it's important to not go in with too many expectations. In terms of fairness, there's fairness and then there's like equity, where people think it has to be equal in order to be fair. And sometimes that's not necessarily the case. With these kiddos coming into a foster home, they've been through a lot of trauma. They've been through things that we probably can't even imagine as adults. And so sometimes we have to adhere to things a little bit differently or shift our parenting or you know, be a little bit more lax in certain ways and harder in other ways to ensure that we're meeting that child need. So I think that it's really important, um, kind of similar to what you might hear a, a foster parent share a little bit later on, um, the my way or the highway doesn't work too well, especially when working with foster youth and youth who've been through trauma. Now, do they need to have chores and follow basic rules and things of that nature? Of course. You know, you have to have structure. You have to have um, expectations, but I expectations in terms of like the rules of your home. But I think it's really important to know that with your kiddos, if you have biological children, they grew up in a safe and nurturing environment. You're bringing in a child who did not. And so sometimes you have to treat things a little differently to meet that child where they're at. I imagine there's some mistrust among the children that are coming from a bad environment into a better environment, uh, some initial mistrust and some issues that where you knock heads. How many kids do we bring into foster care in the county in a year? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want to give a number that I'm not confident about. Can I can I narrow it down? I mean, we're talking in the 
single digits, dozens, or hundreds? Dozens. Okay. Yeah. I mean, how does a child get referred to foster care? I'm presuming that there's little spies in the school, which thank heaven for them, uh, that, that can see the things. Because, I mean, face it, teachers do have you know, a front row seat to different things that goes on there. But I mean, and I'm assuming the police department when they roll in on, you know, a domestic call or something like that. I mean, is those, is that where you get the referrals from or? Yeah, that's a great point. So there are mandated reporters, school staff are that police officers, nursing staff, hospital staff, those are mandated reporters where if you see something, you have to say something, you have to make a report to the social services. Um, the schools are our primary source of referrals. So that that does that's pretty common. But it can be anybody, it can be a neighbor, it can be, you know, somebody who knows the family that says, Hey, I'm, I'm really concerned, or I noticed XYZ thing. And I think somebody needs to step in and take a further assessment to this. Anybody can call in to our, you know, um, child protective services line and, and make a report about concerns of a child. One thing that you had mentioned earlier was family preservation. Mm-hmm. And as we sit here and we talk about, and, I, and I'll reflect back on some of the discussion I had with Taylor Piles. I mean, some of the trauma that these children have gone through um, and you just said a few moments ago, it's we can't even imagine it as an adult. I mean, is family preservation really, truly a goal? Is that a goal in everything? Or always, our our goal is family preservation. And even if the child does eventually have to come into care, our goal is reunification, which means getting that child safely to go back home, or if that's not possible, trying to find a family member, aunt, uncle, cousin, and. I understand that for some people can be difficult to have that empathy toward a biological family if, you know, they're having their own struggles. But I always encourage people to know that the mom or dad or whoever that biological caregiver was, they are going through their own struggles. We don't know their life story. We haven't walked in their shoes. They might just be repeating generational curses. They might have not truly known any different. They don't know another way to be or another way to parent. Um, And we need to give them an opportunity to learn, to work on what they need to work on so that the child can safely go back home. And statistics support that the best place for a child to be and the most positive outcomes is when they are with family. That makes sense. And I guess your goal is to not place them in foster and get them back with either the parents, the mother, the father, or I presume a relative as, as well, mm-hmm. you know, a grandmother, an aunt, or an uncle. Yeah, yep. Um, even when they come into care, if we weren't, sometimes we might know about family, but we need to run background checks or what have you to make sure that they're an appropriate resource. Um, and even if they can't go with mom and dad, if there's a relative available, great, we're going to go with that. Foster care is really only when and if a relative can't be identified or we haven't found one yet and we need a temporary, you know, safe place for that child to go while mom or dad or whoever work on what they need to work on. How long does a typical foster placement last or is that not a fair question? (laughs) I I laugh because I get this question almost every time I'm doing inquiry calls with families and my answer is a child could be in your home anywhere between a day and forever and I couldn't tell you where in between that would fall. Um, to break it up a little bit so it's not that vague of a cloud, um, when youth enter care, they always have to go to court the next day to see if court you know, agrees with the department's decision that a youth has to remain in care. Almost always they do. They'll stay in care for the next 30 days, and then court is every um, six months. So t- I'd say typically a child's probably not going to be leaving foster care anytime before a six-month mark unless we find a relative and they clear out. Um, 
but they could be in your home for months, a year, maybe a little bit over a year, um, and still be working that reunification goal. Um, typically, once a youth has been in care for about 15 months, that's when potentially the option of adoption can be put on the table. But that's not always a guarantee because, again, we want to be you know, working with that family. So. Interesting when, with adoption. And I have heard stories where children have been in foster care and foster families and the parents have just embraced them and the children have embraced the families. and They, they adopt. And you've seen the videos on YouTube and everything else right. that, that are just absolutely tear jerking. Uh, I mean, that is a possibility. Now, does the birth parent, does the biological parents, they, I'm presuming they have some sort of a say in that as well? So when we're going through the court process, if we're starting to move toward adoption being the goal and the court agrees with us, then we move into what's called TPR or termination of parental rights. If a parent's parental rights are terminated, that child is legally no longer theirs. It's not theirs. Um, so that's when any type of rights or responsibilities are completely off the table from that point on. However, if you were to go through with adoption, I always say that there's not really such thing as closed adoptions through our program. You are still going to know who the biological family is. They're going to know who their kid right. is. So you need to learn how to navigate that open adoption of what contact or communication is going to look like with biological family after adoption occurs. As we look into to family reunification, I think this is just a, a, a wonderful goal and it's constantly reevaluated by the courts to sit there and see whether this is an appropriate decision mm-hmm. to have their let's just put a throw it out there that I am a heavy duty drug user and uh, unable to care for my child. Uh, social services comes in, they make a determination that it's detrimental to the child and my child gets placed into foster mm-hmm. uh, foster care. I'm a little bit despondent about that. I don't like the thought that my kid, and I mean, of course, being the pighead that I am, I realize that I, you know I, I should be able to do drugs and take care of my kid. But uh, so I go into a program and I get clean and sober, and I, you know, I, I've completed that. That is certainly a step into the reunification where I can then go back into court and say, you know, Your Honor, I have completed A, B, C, D. I have not had a drink or a, a drug in X months, and that's going to weigh in his decision or her decision to terminate the foster care or... Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, I always say that you're co-parenting with the foster family, the department, and court. <laughs> and court really does have the ultimate say. The department can put forth their recommendations. There will be court orders that the parent needs to adhere to. That could be getting into treatment. That could be finding stable housing, whatever it may be. And if they are checking those boxes and getting those court orders done, that is proving to the magistrate who's overseeing the case that you're doing what's being asked of you. And that will weigh extremely heavily in our you know, move toward reunification. Well, I know we're built on a country of second chances, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of nice and refreshing. And I know that uh, to be able to realize that you screwed up and uh, take corrective action to do it. And certainly I can't think there's a, a more critical crisis than, you know, losing a child. And uh, that, you know, whether that's a biological mother or a biological father, it's just got to be absolutely devastating to do that. As we go through the system, so, I mean, we can have a foster child in our home for a couple of days or a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what typically is the relationship? And I know that Taylor had mentioned that they age out. Mm-hmm. So at 18, they become... At 21. Oh, at 21? Mm-hmm. They, they become, can stay in care until the age of 21. Uh, quote, unquote, adults. Yes. And, I mean, is that just a... I mean, typically how? And I know it's probably very different for every family, but is that typically a... 
okay, you're 21, have a good life. It's been a good three years. Or is that do families remain in the lives of their foster children forever, or is that uh, just sort of taken on a case by case basis? So when working with humans, I think everything is case by case, right? There's not going to be, oh, yeah, everybody always does it this way or everybody always does mm-hmm. it that way. I would say what from what I've seen, it's very common that families still have a relationship with youth even after they've leave their home or they age out of the system. And even though they age out of the system, quote unquote, air quotes, Oftentimes, those kids still will stay with that foster family. They've turned 21. If the foster family is not saying that you have to go and they're still willing to support you and doing what you need to do, they can stay if that's what everybody's in agreement with. And even when children are reunified, a lot of times if you've been able to bridge that gap and have a good working relationship with the biological family, a lot of our families still have relationships where those kids come on weekends or birthdays or vacations, and they're kind of like an extended family member at that point. So, of course, it depends from family to family, but I've, I've seen a lot of successful relationships and partnerships even after children go home or age out. That's awesome to see that. And I'm sure that's something that you guys encourage as you... As you go through, or you certainly don't oppose it, that's for sure. Oh, it's absolutely supported. We want families to be able to work together rather than having like a me versus you mentality. You know, with a successful foster program, it seems like you could have two sets of really good, awesome parents. Exactly. You know, You're just the- growing <laughs> your family. Exactly. And a great thing. Well, I'm assuming that foster parents get some assistance. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, counseling and you know training and everything else that goes in that as well. As the father of three, man, kids are expensive. You are right. You are right about that. Yes. So there is a monthly stipend that foster parents receive, and that's dependent on how many children that you're caring for. So if you have a sibling set of two, you will get double the stipend amount. Um, And that's monthly. So you would receive that monthly to assist with whatever that child may need, whether that's, you know, of course, the increase in the grocery bill with them eating you out of, you know, home, um, whether that's signing them up for activities, clothing, et cetera, you name it. Um, that stipend is is maintained to cover that. And then if you need daycare, there are, is also a daycare stipend where we can assist you in paying for daycare for that youth. That's great. That's great. Now, you mentioned with the number of children in home and I brought up another question with siblings. And, and I've got to imagine that a lot of these children that come into foster care Uh, are not the only child. Correct. Um, Do siblings, I mean, I'm presuming that you try to keep them together? Try. We, our goal is for siblings to be able to stay together because you're already being, as a youth in care, you're already being ripped away from your family. To then also be ripped away from your sibling is just adding on layers of trauma. So we really try to minimize that as much as we possibly can in having siblings placed together. Now, in an ideal world, all of our siblings would always be placed together. Unfortunately, we don't always have the time, space, availability to do so. Um, So we need a higher need for homes who also have space physical space in their home for more than one youth. Well, you mentioned that they don't allow bunk beds. Uh, yeah, that is a toughie. <laughs> and I, a lot of people are like, what? What do you mean? And it's like one of those policies, and more likely than not, a kiddo was probably playing on the top bunk. Fell no more, and... No more monkeys jumping on the bed and, you know, bumped his head. And um, so things like that kind of can be a factor. But if you have two twin beds and that room's at least 100 square feet, you're good to go. And, you know, I've got to think that there's probably many families that are in the system that are, you know, willing to take on a foster child, probably don't have the wherewithal to take on two or three. It's a need. It is. And we understand that it's not for everybody, um, especially if you have your own biological children at home, physical space in your home. Um, But we just 
want to reiterate that with siblings, it's so important to keep them together and you can really see the impact and the strengths that come from it when, when they are able to have that maintained, that relationship maintained. Does your job end at 18 or 21 as the child ages out of the system? I mean, is that where the work of the Department of Social Services ends? When they or, are... I mean, do the, the kids get any resources to... As you, as you cast them off in the boat of life and say, okay, well, here's a, here's a pair of oars and good luck. Or yeah, so something? if we did that, that's when you see those unfortunate um, statistics that a lot of people talk about, where you know youth who age out of the system, they are unemployed, they turn to a life of crime, they turn to substance use, they turn to... So if they don't have those supports in place, those are often the outcomes that you see. So if we were to operate like that, we wouldn't be supporting our kids. Um, so thankfully, we have a wonderful independent living coordinator by the name of Dillup who works for our department. And he specifically works with these youth who are in a transitional age of getting ready to be on their own, transition out of the system. And he works very closely with the Semi-Independent Living Program, or SELA, you might have heard it be called, um, where he's trying to get them into their apartment, have employment, have education, a car, you know, so that when they do age out, they have some foundation to fall back on. Well, I was just talking to Hope for All, which is a nonprofit up Mm -hmm. in Glen Burnie two days ago. And Again, it was the same type of a situation. It's mostly for homeless that, you know, there's we're not giving you the Taj Mahal, but we're giving you the basics. Yeah. We're giving you the bed, the dining room table, the nightstand, the the couch, uh, the television, whatever. It's just the basic stuff, um, because when you have nothing and I've got to think it's probably very similar for somebody that's aging out of foster. I mean, you're living in somebody's home. You got to go out and you got to buy that. Yeah. That high to bed or whatever it is. You said that as far as, you know, getting on education, what about a, a kid that's I'll say thriving as a, as, as a human, as a child in foster care is is bright, is smart and says, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm beyond this. I am going to go. I want to go on to college. I want to go and, uh, you know, I want to rule the world and, you know, be president one day or whatever. I mm-hmm. don't know why anybody would ever want to do that, but that's beside. <laughs> but what I mean, are there any resources for kids that want to continue bettering themselves as they age out. Absolutely. So once you reach the age of 13 and you've been in care in Maryland, there is a tuition waiver. So if you were to go to any in-state school, so it would have to be a Maryland college, um, but any in-state Maryland college is free tuition. So, of course, that doesn't include, you know, a food plan or things of that and nature. And but board when it comes, and all that Right. Stuff, but, but tuition, completely free. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. That's and Maryland has some pretty good schools. Absolutely, they do. Yeah, as someone who's a Salisbury alum, I that's, have to agree. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That's I, I didn't realize that they, you know, again, I mean, so this is really a program that, you know, and I, I've often said that, you know, with public housing, it should be a leg up as opposed to a permanent type of a of a, of a structure, and certainly that's what it seems like this is as well. I mean, ideally, we want to get them back with the family. Um, but we're going to give them all of the tools for success to get out in whatever their future endeavors hold. If they want to go to school and college, that's fine. If they just want to go out on their own and find a job doing mechanics or whatever it is, you've got staff to be able to help them and assist them on the way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing that I kind of want to speak on mentioning aging out or being able to go back home, a lot of people have the mentality of, oh, well, if they're reunified and they go back home to their family, all my hard work just goes out the window. And that is just so far from the truth because you are giving these youth 
tools, skills, things to fall back on that they can take with them wherever they go, whether that be back home to mom and dad or to a relative or on their own in their own apartment. You are teaching them and giving them a safe landing pad, launching pad to really move forward. So I encourage people not to feel um, that reunification is going to erase all of their hard work because that's the farthest from the truth. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, kids are so observant. They absorb absolutely everything and uh, they will mimic. I find that they will mimic the adults and when they see positive outcomes of different things, I if you told me that when kids aged out and they went back to their home or when they were reunified that they, you know, fell into that, I would, I'd call you out on it and say, that just doesn't sound right to me. Mm-hmm. That's great. Who was a typical foster parent or is there one? <laughs> there, there really isn't one. We have such a diverse population in terms of family compositions and working, stay at home, kids, no kids, pets, no pets. So we have single foster parents who have never had a biological child. We have dual um, parents who are same sex or, you know, opposite sex. We have individuals who work from home. It it really runs the gamut. And so it shows that anybody can do it. Even if you're a single foster parent who works, you can do it. If you um, are both working and you're a couple and, you know, you you work regular hours, you can do it. Um, It really more so depends on the support that you have, not only from the department that you'll get when you get licensed, but your friends, your family members, your your circle, your village. Um, Here in Anne Arundel County, our slogan is be the village. And it really is is so important to not only be part of the village that we've created here for you in our foster community, but, you know, pulling in your own personal village to be able to do the work. What's the key trait that a foster parent has to have to be successful? There's a and this is, this is purely, purely a subjective here, of course. Of course. The feedback that I've heard specifically from youth who've been in care is patience. Um, you really need to have an abundance of patience to be a foster parent. I think oftentimes, as somebody who you know is a social worker and people who want to become foster parents or tend to be bleeding hearts, right? Their heart is on their sleeve and they want to fix and they want to help. And these kids can't be fixed overnight. They don't want to be fixed. They don't need to be fixed. They need somebody to walk along next to them through this journey. They need somebody to allow them to have their hard feelings and work through it and come out on the other side. Um, Just take your time and slow down and don't feel as though you have to jump in immediately to correct or fix every little problem that might pop up. I'll tell you, Tracy, before we roll out of here, the most important thing that we need to know is how can we get involved or register to be considered as a foster parent? Because uh, there are plenty of people here in our community that uh, have the wherewithal, the heart, the space, and the desire uh, to help our community out. So how do we how do we learn more and get involved? Sure. So to simply learn more, you can go to our website, anarundelfostercare.com. You can also call our foster parent inquiry line, which is 410 3950. You can also reach out to me directly and I would be happy to answer questions, sign you up for an informational session and tell you how to move forward. And you can reach out to me at Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y dot Bowen, B as in boy, O-W-E-N as in Nancy at Maryland.gov. Well, Tracy, I know that you had said that we could possibly talk to 
a foster family. Yes, a wonderful one. And uh, oh, you're not biased or anything, are you? No, all of our foster families are wonderful. Every single one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I want to thank you so much for your time. And what we're going to do is we're going to come right back and we're going to speak to a foster family and find out what the other side of that coin is all about. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Local Business Spotlight. Please make sure to visit ionanapolis.net for all your local news, events, and opinion. And in case you haven't already, please subscribe to the Ion Annapolis Daily News Brief, where we bring you all the day's local news direct to your phone, tablet, or computer in about 10 minutes. It comes to you at 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.